Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krauss, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Evan Hutchings. Evan grew up in Arkansas and is the son of a preacher. He started playing drums at the age of two and learned so much about drumming, watching other drummers play at his father's church. Evan went to college in Tennessee and currently lives in Nashville and works as a full-time session drummer. Most recently, Evan can be heard on recordings with Rascal Flatts and Aaron McCarley, as well as Kelsey Ballerini's current record, which is number one on iTunes. He's also worked with producers like Nathan Chapman, Jamie Kenny, and Milton Hubbard. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done, you can go to workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Leave a rating and review. This always helps us grow. I also want to mention that some of the music that we use in between different topics uh, has been mostly uh, myself and Mike uh, producing that music, but we have some newer music that you're going to hear that is actually performed by my co-host, Zach Albetta, and I hope you enjoy that. But that's, uh, that's Zach killing it there uh, with some uh, groovy stuff happening, so listen for that. If you like what we're doing here at Working Drummer Podcast and you want to help sustain this ongoing project, there's a way that you can help, and there are many progressive rewards for those of you who can help. I'm talking about free Skype lessons from pro drummers like Ben Caesar and Carter McLean, a free Working Drummer t-shirt, access to bonus content, shout-outs, Twitter follows, and even a personal feature on you within an episode. Check out all the details at patreon.com slash working drummer. I'd like to introduce you all to Crush Drums by telling you about one of their new lines. They are offering a brand new birch kit called the Sublime Birch Series. The Sublime Birch is 100% North American birch. Here's Crush's own Terry Platt talking about some of the cool features of the Sublime Birch Series. One thing that Crush has always done is on our 14-inch floor toms, we do a 14 by 13. It's got the fullness and depth of a 14 by 14 tom, but you can also, tuning range-wise, manipulate it to sound more like a 14 by 12 for the guys that, that enjoy that tone as well. It also includes the hoop saver claws that we developed where we actually have the rubber grommet under the claw protruding through the front of the claw. So if somebody grabs their drum set and sets it down, say, on concrete, you know, claw side down, it doesn't scratch up everything. And here's one of my favorite things about what Crush is doing. The bearing edges are cut a little more specifically for the drums. Our standard edge is a you know kind of a double 45, and the outside is rounded over so you get some more head contact with the shell. On the bass drum, you'll notice that the resonant side is even rounder than that. And then the uh, batter side is going to be a little bit sharper. Just so you get that nice snap out of the kick, but the resonant head really brings the whole shell into the equation of the tone. You can also find a link to the new Sublime Birch series in our show notes and see the beautiful finishes and configurations they offer. In the near future, we've got much more to share in regard to Crush Drums and this dynamic company. For now, check out Crush Drums at crushdrum.com. So let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Evan Hutchings. What kind of comes to the top video, especially with YouTube, is people doing these amazing, like, acrobatic. Flashy, yeah. It's like athletic drumming, you know. Yeah. Stuff like that. But you said, you were saying, like, you find out that's not 
where the work is. Dev- yeah. Or there, there, well, it's like two different kinds of, it's like two different kinds of careers in a way. Yep. I mean, you could, that's like clinician drumming to yep. me. And yeah. there's a whole, you know, industry for that. And you can do well and make good money doing that if that's what you want to do. But then there's also guys like Jim Keltner, you know, he's, he's not going to do a drum clinic. He's not a drum clinic guy. I actually saw him at a drum clinic. <laughs> that's amazing. And he would, he just, he really wouldn't play. He would sit right. down and, and then, uh, this was back, uh, I think in the late nineties and, and people were asking him question. How did you, questions how did you play this groove and he said well let me see i i um i i uh you know what um there's a guy in the audience you guys should hear his name is johnny rab <laughs> you heard of johnny rab uh, not a lot of people had at right, the time he right. goes, johnny get up here and he pulled which is it. so that's so smart for jim keltner i mean in a way he just the people want to be entertained and he's like he's such a selfless guy too he's yeah. not going to be a look at me kind of guy yeah. he's one of the best drummers to play with another drummer too he's very supportive and i think that's why so many songwriters loved working with him mm-hmm. because he was so supportive that kind yeah. of musician yeah Johnny Rabb's up there doing a one-handed drum roll, which is fun. You know, it's all mm-hmm. good, but yeah, it's he's not going to be playing with John Lennon. You know, nobody doing is. A drum, nobody drum is. Right. <laughs> well, I think and that, that sounds negative, but it's not. No, it's not. But I think it's important to, to distinguish that there are different careers, and and we yeah. know people that have chosen uh, the clinic route to go yeah yeah yeah. so somebody like jim riley you know from yeah, rascal flats awesome. and yeah. it's like he's kind of found a voice in doing this and there's right. some other people that have done that and uh but i think that that is an is maybe even a narrower field right the other thing that i've been wrestling with um the last couple of months and because this is my podcast i get to talk about them yeah <laughs> my own that's right uh, my own issues you and stuff like that no, no, here's Your one. <laughs> People are like, shut up, man. No. No, what, I think the thing that I've been talking a lot about recently is that uh, kind of, I, I've, for years, I've kind of been pushing against this, like, look, flashy playing, many right. notes, that's not where the work is. No. And I'm kind of, and I, I, and I still believe that, but I also... I'm trying to to recognize the fact that there are players that do these things, mm-hmm. especially on stage, sometimes in the studio, yeah. but especially on stage where there's a time for them to shine. Sure. And sometimes uh, they get hired because their ability to shine when right. called upon. Right. And... Um, and as drummers, we're always like, hey, look, you got to play for the audience. There's not always going to be a musicians in the audience. There's not always going to be drummers in the audience. Sure, sure. But can you do something that is entertaining? And the answer yeah. is yes. Right. It's, a, you know, being professional, being able to do that kind of stuff, I feel like, will just, it'll broaden your possibilities of being able to do a gig. Yeah. Like, you know, even Aaron Sterling had to do a drum solo with John Mayer. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we were talking, he and I were talking about that. He's a buddy of mine and mm-hmm. he's never had to do drum solos, you know, mm. that kind of thing where, you know, someone like Keith Carlock, who was doing the gig before him, yeah. the dude could solo all night and everybody would be in. He's amazing at that. That's yeah, just, yeah, but yeah. you know, so Aaron's a professional. He like worked it out and like mm-hmm. did his thing and it was awesome. You know, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Also in that same vein, Steve Jordan, you don't think of him as a solo 
solo kind of drummer. Right. But the dude could play 16th notes on a hi-hat and have a whole arena just going nuts. You're you know? right. You're right. That's like, that's the kind of soloing that I love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Max Roach did that kind of stuff too, you know, like uh, yeah. just soloing on the hi-hat and it was so entertaining because you could hear the groove in that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Excellent so, point. Excellent yeah. point. Uh, I, I, one of my recent interviews, Jeremy Robertson, uh, who just is a great player, but he gets called upon to solo, to shine, to do yeah. these different things uh, on his gig. And he delivers. Yeah. And I hear the things that he does, and I'm like, man, I can't do that. I know, man. Um, I know. But but that's okay, you know? But what what but what it, it it's almost like what you're saying, like, here's... Steve's Steve Jordan's wheelhouse. This right. is what he's known for. Yeah. How does he create excitement and tension right. and release within his skill set? Totally. Yeah. Which is broad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he played with Sonny Rollins for a long time. You right. know, like he he was a jazz drummer coming up, you know, in New York. But um I feel like he just in in the guys that we all love, they have an identity. You know, they have something about them that is identifiable and they know what that is, I feel like. A lot of times mm-hmm. guys may have an identity but they don't know what it is, so they don't really dig too deep into that well of you know of their playing, you know, whatever that may mm-hmm. be. Like mm-hmm. Steve Jordan's not trying to be a country drummer. You know, he's not trying to be like a pop rock drummer. I'm sure he gets called. I know he gets called to play on sessions like that. Well, the new Vince Gill record, or the yeah, more, more recent Vince amazing. Gill. Yeah, but that's got, it's more of like a soul country soul kind of, there's not really yes. like a train beat. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but he does his thing and he crushes it and yeah. it's amazing. Like, yeah. like even, uh, him playing with James Taylor. In the '90s, there's a DVD live at the Beacon Theater. I have it. It yeah. changed my life. That changed my it. life. Yeah. My dad gave me that when I was like 10 years old or whatever, and I was like, I don't know who that guy is or what that is, but I want to do that for the rest of my life. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And and he Carlos Vega was doing that gig before him, who's like I know amazing like fusion kind of Latin jazz influence. He was like the Jeff Picaro of New York, you know. Mm. And that is not Steve Jordan. At all, he's not anything yeah, like that. So true. he came he was in, the New York of New York. Yeah, he, he was, was the like Steve Jordan of New yeah, York. Yeah, <laughs> he was the Al Jackson Jr. of New York okay. in a way. You know what I mean? The Benny Benjamin of New York. Yeah. But uh, he came into that gig and did it his own way and did his thing, and it was unbelievable. Was so cool. I have a funny story about that video. Uh, when I first got that video, I was all all about it. I could not stop watching it. Well, this is Me either. When my wife and I were engaged. Yeah. And my friends came down from Columbus to surprise me, mm. literally surprised me. Wow. For a bachelor party. That's in odd. Nashville. Oh, cool. So, like, we went out, we, you know, got some dinner, had some beers, talked about this James Taylor concert. <laughs> That's awesome. We I love that. Went back to my condo. And and just to just to watch it because we wanted yeah. to watch it and there were about six of us. One guy's like, I thought we were gonna go to like a, a strip bar or something like that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, no, we're gonna watch a this James. is a m- musicians bachelor party. Right <laughs> we're here. gonna watch. We watched, My wife. She's like, that's hilarious. Wait a minute. I, she goes, I'm in bed early. I hear you guys come home. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Right. I'm like, what happened? Did somebody That's get hurt? amazing, man. What's going on? And then I hear James Taylor. Yeah. On, 
on the singing like, fire and rain and doing the this? whole thing. Like, yeah, that's what I did at my bachelor Dude, party. <laughs> some of those shuffles that he plays on that that live performance are just unbelievable, man. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable the way he'll play. Because it's sort of like some of those are like slow shuffles. There's the one that Buddy Holly song. Um, I can't remember which one it is called, but it's sort of a do do ga do do ga do do that kind of shuffle. Is it um, uh, God spend a little more time on you? It's not that one. That's one of the shuffles, but it's uh, he, he does something where there's a uh, there's a break. It's been a it's been a little little while. Kind of I've got it over here, man. Oh, do- <laughs> Yeah, but there is something. How sweet it is is a really. Oh good yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'll, I'll always, you know, whether it's with you, get. great shuffle. Here's the. There's some. Yes. What is that? Uh, every time your smiling face. Yes, that's that's so good. He uh, he does he a gra- fill. Oh, it's at the very end. Dun. Yes. Oh, so good. Yeah. And then Jimmy Johnson playing the bass fill at the end of that. Yeah. I love it, man. I, can't, I mean, James I've Taylor live at the Beacon Theater. So good. 98, I think, right? 98. Um, Something like that. Yeah. Yep, 98. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate it, man. That was great. <laughs> hey, Podcast I, over. We're going to go watch this DVD watch this? real quick. <laughs> uh, and I, I want to say happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. It's I thought Halloween. It's, awesome. I, I, it's amazing that you decided to dress up for I did, this. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a, huge, right now, but I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I Star think Wars it's fan. really cool. Yep. Why Jar Jar Binks? I'm not really sure. You know, but, I just felt festive today. I feel, okay. You know, just in, cool. in the... <laughs> cool. I dressed up like my dad. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> you're nailing it, man. Thanks. <laughs> um, tell me about what's been going on this summer. Like uh, any interesting yeah. projects? Anything going on? Yeah, let's see. Just played on Kelsey Ballerini's new record. Mm-hmm. We tracked that here actually at my studio. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I got to engineer that. That was a lot of fun. And um. Excuse me. Uh, produced some stuff for Aaron McCarley this summer that just came out about a month or two ago that we we wrote and then uh, we co-produced together. That was cool. I actually tracked that here as well. Um, played on Rascal Flatts' new record that came out this summer. Nice. There's been a lot of cool stuff. It's been awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... I do studio work just about every single day, and so it's like trying to remember all the... The fun stuff is, is yeah. hard because it's awesome. Yeah, every day. Well, and and if you don't mind, I, I think that it's we we met we've met through a mutual friend. Yeah, that, that I appreciate Zach Steinbach, which I shout out shout out to check him. out his new his new song. New, yeah, it's been it's been. I'm great. Com- coming to get you is the title there. Okay. Yeah. Um, we track that here. And, but one of the things in, in doing some uh, digging and background uh, of you is, yeah. is like seeing the studio work that, that you do. Yeah. And uh, so I'd like to try and spend some time unpacking for that sure, yeah. for uh, a lot of us that spend a majority of our work working live. Right. And then the um, kind of this elusive environment that the mm-hmm. studio is right. for... Um, for a lot of us. Yeah. You know, I love that. Uh, so, um, 
you know, many players that I talk to, you know, it's like, is your approach live different than studio? And, and, and ultimately the answer is, oh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but what is it that yeah, definitely can be, can you point to as being like, well, here's one thing that I pay attention to when I'm recording compared sure. to live or whatever. How would you differentiate the two? I feel like live, it depends on the live gig. Of course. Uh, first of all, you know, mm-hmm. if you're playing with a rock band, then you're just, you just play hard and loud and big and animated and, you know, mm-hmm. and you may tune your drums a little bit differently too, yeah. you know, a little bit thuddier or something. But and Tom's to me, drums sound different live than they do in the studio. I think that's one thing that I learned early on that I'm going, okay, this is the same drum set that I used the other night at this gig, and it sounded awesome. I was even talking to the engineer at the front of house guy. Hey, man, how the drum? He's like, dude, this kit sounds amazing. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, cool. Bring it into the studio the next week, and it sounds horrible. Yep. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> I didn't change anything. Didn't yep. change the tuning. So what I realized is... You do need to tune drums differently in the studio, you know. Hmm. The studio is like, it's a microscopic look at what your instrument sounds like and how you play it. Yes. Every little detail comes out that live people aren't going to hear that, you know. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to hear a bass drum, like the foot pedal squeaking, you know. Mm -hmm. But in the studio, it's like that's all you can hear. It's so loud. Yeah. But uh, so I realized kind of early on that... um, that I needed to pay more attention to tuning and how to tune drums based on the situation in the studio, based on mm-hmm. the song, based on like what kind of feeling I'm going to try to convey. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be in a session, for example, and it, it may be um, a sort of up-tempo or mid-tempo song. It needs some energy. And the snare may be just a little too deep, maybe a little too thuddy, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. And and we do the take and everybody's playing great and it's awesome and the producer's just like I don't know it just needs some energy is the tempo right is it too slow is the key right and I'm thinking let me change this snare drum I don't even say anything but I just change the snare drum to something with a little bit more life to it a little bit more crack uh-huh. we don't change anything else and they're like that's it that was perfect what'd you guys do what'd you change you know and it was literally just a snare drum you know so certain things like being in tune to that pun intended I guess yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) is is really important because they the producer the artist the engineer whoever it may be may not be able to convey what it is that's not right but Uh you have to just know or, or like yeah. already be thinking about it. Yeah, is the snare drum right? Is the tom, the toms like too ringy? Are they too dead? Are they too like yeah. you know just anything? All, all the above. Like mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. whereas live, it doesn't matter as much. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. Did you have a time where this was an epiphany for you? Like. Yeah, I feel like. I'm always learning. Every session that I do, I try to always learn something new mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. just being in the studio, being a studio drummer. Yeah, but early on, I definitely started to realize, okay, these toms, and especially with toms, toms sound different in the mm-hmm. studio. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn how to tame them, tame the overtone, and like take out that like wow, wow, kind of sound. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing that we're live. Like maybe the engineer is just gonna like 
compress the crap out of them and gate them. And that's it. And they can, like I've done like a fest festival dates where it's just a throw and go backline kit. And I'm like, you don't have much time to really work with the drums. Right, 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 right. Sound horrible too. Yeah. And like these sound bad, like straight up bad. And then the front of that, no one's like, it's great. It's awesome. Yeah, they make it. They just make it work out there. Right, right. But in the studio, you don't. No one can just make it work. You yeah. gotta. Yeah. You have to make it work. You know. I, I've seen. I think for a long time, I resisted dampening drums. There was this trend towards letting the drum sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I worked in retail, uh, companies were pushing the suspension system and, and allowing right. the shell the full range of, right you know and that's all well and good mm-hmm. and so for a long time this mindset was uh you know when you saw it oh you don't put tape on it don't do this and right and then i see pictures or i see yeah. drums and i see almost looks like strategically placed 100 percent. yeah i've got little places like i mean i'm talking like this is they're like minute detail differences like if you put tape on one spot of a snare drum versus another spot it's gonna sound different you know and sometimes like the snare may be too ringy and have this like this uh inherent like tone to it Mm -hmm. that you want to get out right like this happens all the time because every drum is different and every room is different and humidity affects it Uh the weather like literally just everything so you're i'm constantly working with the drums to like get them to sound how i want them to sound you know but yeah i'll like put a piece of tape on a drum and it's like, mm, that's not really it. And then I'll just move that piece of tape to a different spot on the drum. And yeah. it's like, oh, there it is, you know? Yeah. Or I'll like just barely turn one lug and the engineer's like, that's it. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, what'd you do? You know, yeah. did you change the drum? I was like, just barely changed one thing. Yeah, yeah. Which can be maddening because you know it may be just a little small change like that that right. you need to make, but you just kind of fiddle with it until it sounds good. <laughs> Right. Well, no, that's, I think my question was, what, yeah. what is your go-to to try and get these drums to sound right? And it my, sounds like fiddling. It really is. It's just fiddling. It's just like messing with it. And it depends on what the issue is. Like if my toms are too, too, um, if they're ringing out for too long, mm-hmm. if it's like boom, rather than boom, you know, if you want that, mm-hmm. what I'll do is I'll put tape underneath the drum mm. that that chokes off the resonance and doesn't change the tone of it at all because mm-hmm. I'm not messing with the top head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you look at some of my toms, especially like the floor tom, <laughs> there's like I've it's just that. a yeah. onslaught of tape underneath there. Yeah, yeah, that looks horrendous. You know, because yeah. yeah. I'll just I'll be in a session and I'm like trying to get a quick fix and I'm just like shoving tape underneath the yeah. floor tom or whatever. You know, yeah. And a lot of times I'll kind of like do a half fold of the tape right. to where there's like a little bit sticking up, uh-huh. you know, it kinda, uh-huh. it's kind of hard to explain, but it's like you take a piece of tape off and then just sort of squeeze it together to where it sticks to right. itself right. and then right. put right. that on the drum. Yeah. That'll help. Yeah. And if you really want to dampen it, I'll take a piece of tape and then fold it in and on itself, like fold it together uh-huh. to where there's, there's no stickiness to it. Yes. And then take another piece of tape and then put that on the top of Almost it. It's like a Band-Aid. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. 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 That works really well. So there's like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not crazy about moon gels necessarily. They're mm-hmm. cool, but they do a lot. You know, they're yeah. like, and sometimes I just need a little bit of a change. 
and I don't really want to rip up the moon gel or whatever. So I'll just I've done that tape. before, though. Which I've, that totally works. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Cut those. And it's the thing. It's like there's no one right way to do it. Everybody's got their own way to do it. And right, right. And also that just kind of aids into your own sound. You know, like right. every drummer tunes and dampens and hits the drum differently. Mm-hmm. The drum head has a lot to do with it. You know, mm-hmm. if it's a mm-hmm. thinner head, like an ambassador or a diplomat or something, it's going to ring a lot more. So you're gonna. It's gonna be a lot harder to get that Ringo thuddy sound with right. a thinner head, you know. Right, right. Do you think that there's been uh, a trend towards getting more vintagey sounds? Definitely, or? I feel like. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever I first started doing sessions in Nashville, there was. I don't know of anybody that was using like a '60s Ludwig on a number one country hit. You know, but we are now, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> those are the drums I love. And I'm like, oh, wow, I don't have to change like who I am. And yeah, people yeah. still like that. And it's yeah, like, yeah. that's cool. You know, right. you're not you're not seeing as many like even, you know, I've got like nice, expensive kits, you know, that are like like pop rocks that are like Josh Freese sounding mm-hmm. type drums. And sometimes people want that and sometimes people don't, right. you know, and so. Ultimately, it's like you just do what you do and people will dig it or they won't. And and that's, you know, it's refreshing in a way. What about the playing style? Yeah, it's like it's not as big and flashy as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, And, you know, everybody's got their things. Uh, these are like blanket statements, I guess. But, um, you know, guys like... Aaron Sterling to, you know, Matt Chamberlain, uh, me, Jerry Rowe, near Z, like guys like Fred Eltringham, guys that aren't going to be, you know, big and flashy, but are just groove and, and really tone oriented. Right. Like you can, you can, you can just have fun with it and like experiment with like weird loops and weird sounds Mm -hmm. and like old 1940s big 26 inch bass drums with calfskin heads on it and that's the kick drum on the song you know right 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 and like nobody would have thought that's like a fiona apple kind of thing yes right yeah but now people are doing that on country radio yeah it's amazing Yeah, that's incredible. It sounds like tone is yeah, is huge. a huge part yeah. of understanding <clears throat> the instrument, right? And taking the time to experiment with head combinations and and tape and and all right. those things. And and no, and the other thing is is in the studio, especially in Nashville, time is everything is so time sensitive, so fast, and so fast. So when just knowing what needs to be done and yeah. and getting there. The, the question, and, and, uh, and hopefully the podcast is one of those things that helps kind of peel back the veil of, of, yeah. of how people love are that. doing it, you know, so that we can say, oh, right, okay, I got it. Right. Next time I'm in that situation. Remember these tips. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's, it's knowing, and again, you say fidgeting, and, and I, I love that conceptually but then i know there's been times when i'm thinking don't make this more than two takes because it's you're wasting everyone's time or make sure you know where you if you need to do a punch or make sure you know what snare drum needs to be and i'm I'm, I'm stressing out over not wasting a second of time right but i'm also wondering if taking the time to find the right sound Yes. Is gonna is going to make up for 
It goes a long way. Yes. Yeah. And I think people, it depends on what kind of session you're doing too. Like right. if it's a demo session, um, and you just kind of have to feel it out. Like ultimately great studio musicians are great at reading a room and knowing how the pace of the room is moving personalities that you're working with and uh, what you're trying to achieve. You, you kind of read all those things and then make your own just subconscious assessment of what your role is in that mm -hmm. and kind of mm -hmm. always being aware of that. And, you know, if you're, nobody's going to be mad at you if you do another take of a song. I used to think, oh, you get, if you want to be a studio musician in Nashville, you got to get it right in one take. And if you don't, then you're going to look weak, you know, mm -hmm. which that's not the case. I don't most, you know, a lot of times we do get it in one take, but sometimes we need to work it out and you're trying to find a part and you're, yeah. you know, and that's like for a demo thing. Yeah. You can, but I will say throwing yourself into the fire and being able to nail it and just crush it in one take mm -hmm. will impress people. You know, they'll be yeah. like, dang, this guy's like killing it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And like, you're working with some seasoned veterans that are like, I'm going to need another take or I messed up here and I messed up there. And they're like, and you know, it, when you're first starting out, it kind of looks good to be able to yeah. nail it like that, but yeah. you don't have to, yeah. if they can tell that you really care and what you're working on is something right. that's going to be great. Right. Not like this dude can't nail this fill. That's super easy. Yeah. That they could do probably, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that is the problem, man. That's a problem. I, yeah. I, I worked with a guitar player last night and, uh, the first time we had met and, uh, and he was talking about some, some recordings that he, I and he goes, you know, actually, I'm a drummer. I'm like, son of a bitch, man. <laughs> I know. And he goes, because I, I play know, drums man. on this, yeah. and I play drums on that. I know, I'm like, man. What? Yeah. I know. There's a lot of amazing people here. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that there's definitely times when, uh, say, you're tracking five songs. Yeah. Um, In three hours is what we're talking about. Right, right. Yeah. And, but that would be a demo session. Right. But, but sometimes those songs, there's one of them... There's that just requires a little bit more of attention. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, speak yeah, yeah. automatically to what the part to what it needs. Sure. Um, and then, so I always find that like, okay, here's and here's one. We know what needs to be done, and and you you play it down and yeah. you get it over with because there's going to be that one or two songs. There's one or two like, songs yeah. that are require a little bit up, more, a little bit more attention to detail, like a little bit more abstract maybe, and you're kind mm -hmm. of searching for the part, mm -hmm. and that always happens for sure. That happens all the time, but <clears throat> I feel like, again, that goes back to being able to read the artist or the producer and know mm. kind of what they may want before they even ask for it. Yeah. And then when they're talking to you about what they want, if, if the first take wasn't right, which, you know, on a record... It's pretty rare that you're going to do it in one take. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people think, man, that guy's being lazy. He only did one take, you know? Right, so, right. Which is, right. you know, that's dumb. <laughs> if it's good, it's good. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but well, um, yeah, so, like, say you're in the scenario of you do a take of the song and um, it's just not right at all. And we totally missed the boat. And usually they'll just stop you before the song is even over yeah, and hopefully. just go, okay, this is it. We're just not totally, we're not finding it. This is what I'm looking for. Like, say you're doing, um, <clears throat> like the four on the floor groove, four on the floor thing mm -hmm. in the chorus. And it's like pretty big and anthemic, but the artist wants it. Cause they said they wanted it big and anthemic. Yeah. And you're thinking, 
let's rock this thing out, you yeah, know? Yeah. But they're thinking big and anthemic to them is like, imagine dragons, toms, uh, you know? Uh-huh. And you're, that wasn't your first instinct on that. Yeah, and yeah. so they stop you and they go, no, 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 that's not right at all. We want it big and anthemic. And you can't go, well, I'm playing big and anthemic. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right You got to go, oh, okay, cool. So yeah. like, um, and then you just start maybe rattling off some ideas of what other ways of being big and anthemic would be. Mm-hmm. And then you, you try to find it with them rather than going, well, this is what I'm doing, you know, and this yes. is the right way. Yes. Because there's tons of right ways to right. play it. We were talking about Jim Keltner earlier, and, and there's a great story on one of the podcasts, on one of the episodes. He has a great story about just producer and the engineer and the artist all just kind of saying, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to do this. And him following direction and them coming back to his original idea. Totally. But them saying, that's it. And then patting each other on the back. (laughs) Right. Rob McNally has a great story. That happens all the time. About that. That happens all the time. And, 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 and Jim having this kind of Zen like behavior saying, great. Awesome. Yeah. 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 It was a great idea. Knowing it was your idea because you know, we're in the service industry in a way, you know, it's about the song. It's about, it's about the producer, the artist or whatever. And you're there to bring your vibe and to make it better. But you know, if the, the best idea wins basically. Right. And, uh, did you have a situation? idea? Did you ever have a, 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 have a time where you didn't know that? Yes. 100%. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> can, do you have any, can you tell a, a, a situation or um, where that might have? I'm trying to think. I probably repressed it, you know, <laughs> cause I was like, the Oh wow. I'm an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> I messed up, <laughs> but like, yeah, I think I've never had one of those moments to where someone's been like, hey, man, you know, yeah. you've got to you're you're really messing up here or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> so but I think I've just kind of figured it out. Sure. Like, oh, this is there's it's a little bit awkward now. What happened? What did I just say that made mm-hmm. it awkward? Because mm-hmm. you don't want to be that guy. Because sometimes people won't tell you if you did something wrong, you know? Right, right. But it, early on, learning how to work with people on finding a part. Because when you're in the studio, yeah, I mean, we're putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to perform and to, like, to be great. Especially when you're young, you, you want to be the guy that's, like, not causing any issues in the studio. Right. Like, you want to find your part really quickly and nail it, and you want everything to sound great, and you want everybody to be happy. But sometimes that's not always the case, and it's okay to to be like, okay, I'm not right, you know? I don't have the right answer. Let's find that together. Even if you feel really, really strongly about it, Mm. that's really hard to do sometimes. Well, it was early on. Now I totally get it, and it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because... So many guys take it personally whenever someone goes, we don't like that part, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I see that a lot, and it's like, dude, it is not about you as a person. Right. You're a great guitar player. You're a great drummer, a great bass player. It's just not the right part, and that's okay, you know? And if you really want to make this better, then we'll change it to what is going to be better. Right. You right. know, yeah. and that's totally cool. And, and the guys that I see most in the studio working are guys that are cool with that. 
that are willing to to work with people mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i can't stress that enough because it's what it's all about i mean it's all about the hang it's about yeah. you know yeah. working with your friends and like yeah. trying to have fun making music you know right 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 at the end of the day you're like wait we get paid to do this i know it's amazing yeah. you hit the jackpot you know right, right. for sure started playing drums when I was two years old, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, he's a pastor of a church and I kind of always has been since, you know, I was born. Mm -hmm. He plays guitar, plays keyboard, you know, piano, plays drums. He knows one beat, you know, which is like a four on the floor beat. Yeah. But it's like eighth notes, like dun, dun, dun. And he goes, dun, 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 dun. He basically drum solos. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first beat I learned on drums. (laughs) Ironically, was a drum solo. Okay. You know, it's so funny. That's my dad's one beat. You know, it's great. But yeah, he taught me how to play guitar and piano before I even played drums. Really. I mean, I would kind of climb up on the drums, he says, and while they were doing like worship practice at the church, Uh the drummer would take a break or, you know, go do something. And then I would hop up. And they wouldn't be able to tell that he wasn't playing. They thought he, you know, which to me says he was a horrible drummer. (laughs) Two years old and you sound like this guy already. You know, like there's no way, you know, but um, I guess I could just keep a beat with my hands. Yeah. So I would always, I grew up in church and it was like every day I was there after school, you know, the summertime I was always there and there's always, there was always drums there. So I would just be, you know wailing away on the drums all day, just bugging all the people that were working there, I'm sure, (laughs) but they put up with it. Yeah. And, um, but I'd always sit behind the drummer at church and try to like, just figure out what he was doing. He was a great drummer. Yeah. This guy named Sammy Smith. Okay. He doesn't play drums professionally, but, um, unbelievable drummer had an incredible pocket and feel. And so after church, he would show me certain little things like even like these little Afro Cuban beats and like really cool stuff that was like pretty hip, you know, kind of Steve Gadd ish. I think Uh he was into that. I didn't know Steve Gadd. Well, I mean, I was like six years old, you know, I had no idea what I was learning, but it was like polyrhythms and really cool stuff. So I would just hop up there. And then, so in between the morning service and then the night service, I would just be at the church, like practicing basically all day on, Sunday afternoon, and my parents would let me stay there. You know, more so like when I got a little bit older, like ten or eleven mm-hmm. or twelve. So we would just me and like my, my cousin and my sister and like all these other friends. We would just pick up all the instruments to just jam yeah. all Sunday afternoon. Start bands and like just right. do that whole thing. And that's that was my version of like learning drums. You know. Gotcha. So yeah. I got a kit when I was eight years old, took one lesson and hated it. it I was going to ask about that. If you, you know, if you had a teacher or anything. No, I did. I mean, I had, I took one lesson from this, a lady and she was trying to teach me, you know, like proper drum technique, rudiments, hand stuff, reading right. music. At right. a, but I was like, I'm just trying to like play drums. You know, I didn't really want to, which in hindsight, you should start on the snare drum, right? I mean, that's yeah, like the classic sure, sure. thing to do. But I don't need rudiments. I'm just trying I was to play like, drums. I just want to play drums. I just want to play along to my favorite records and play drums. And uh, so I took one lesson and never again took from her. Mm-hmm. And then later on in, in high school, um, 
I mean, I taught myself rudiments from Vic Firth's website. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could go on there and like print off their, their like rudiments and right. like they would have like different speeds that you would do it at. It was like, it was like uh, bronze, silver, gold, and like platinum or whatever. And it was like faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a little like notebook chart thing that I would write out like each rudiment and then what date it was and then yeah. my speed at that rudiment. Yeah. And then just learn. And I was like, I was like crushing some paradiddles, you know, at like. Uh-huh. I was like around like 190 beats per minute, Holy which was cow. really fast. Yeah. And, I, and I was like making it all even and all that stuff. And I w- went back later on in college and looked at that. And I'm like, I can't even play them that fast now, you know, which is ridiculous. But that was, you know. You may need that on the session. You never know. I may need that. <laughs> you know what the song needs? <laughs> Period. What, what's the tempo here? I know it was like 85 beats. Let's bump it up to 200. I'm going to play some Paradiddles. <laughs> You're hired. You're fired, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I kind of, I just taught myself in like drummerworld.com. Yeah. That was like, I was on that like every day looking up like on their little clinic section that they've got. Mm Mm-hmm. Learning like different things and got really into John Riley's Beyond Bebop, or the it's Art of book. Bebop, and then Beyond Bebop. I got that book, just Love devoured it, it man. Like, yeah. yeah, loved it. And then started taking lessons from another jazz drummer in in my hometown, right. and then really got into like four way independence and mm-hmm. like figuring that whole thing out. Mm-hmm. And then went to college at MTSU and studied right. there. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, with, with Lala. Lalo Davila, but and he's amazing. But uh-huh. mainly um, the jazz drummer there, jazz. Excuse me, we'll edit that out. No, <laughs> um, Tom GM Pietro was the uh, drum set teacher there. Tommy G is his name, okay. like his nickname. And now he lives in Amherst, Massachusetts. Okay, but uh, that dude changed my life. Wow, one hundred percent. Like I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing right now without his guidance okay. and teaching. Uh-huh. It was unbelievable. I mean, he taught me how to read music in about, I mean, I could read some rhythms, but not really that well. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh what is the Ted Reed book? Yeah. Syncopation, Syncopation for the modern drummer. Sure. That book was like my drumming Bible in a way. Mm-hmm. There's these eight pages in the back that yep. are just full pages of syncopation. Right. So we, so the first lesson that we did, he was like, okay, I want you to just um, play a jazz ride pattern, two and four on the hi-hat, and then play the figure with your left hand. Mm-hmm. And it took me not even a measure before I was like, I cannot do that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. had zero control over the independence. He was like, okay, well then just play it on the snare drum. And I was like fumbling over reading the rhythms. You know, I got flustered and it was like uh-huh. certain syncopated things over the bar line that I was like, geez, this seems so easy, but I, I'm like, can't do it. Mm-hmm. So he didn't go get out of my room you're never going to make it. You've got too much, <laughs> you know, to learn. He's thinking job Get out of here. He's thinking job security, man. Yeah, he's like, uh, I, I can't. And he was, you know, I was willing to learn. I had the desire and, like, the fire inside me to, like, yeah. really work, you know. Uh-huh. And so, dude, I went from that to being, like, the top drummer in the big band, playing in a salsa band and, like, sight reading all these horn charts that uh-huh. were, like, lightning fast. And... Like with ease, you know, and it was amazing. And and we kind of look back. I was there for like a year and a half, and I remember, I whenever I left, I was like, Tommy G, do you realize like 
Mm. I couldn't even, you know, and he was like, dude, that's all you, you just put in the work, you know? Yeah. Like, was like, thank you so much. So anyway, he taught me, we would take, and that was just a little portion of our lesson was the Ted Reed syncopation. Right, right, right. But we would do every single possible combination of something with your hands and feet or whatever. And then reading those rhythms, even so, so crazy as to like later on, we got it big into Afro Cuban drumming uh-huh. and, yeah. uh, I would do, um, left foot clave yeah. on the hi hat, which mm-hmm. I make fun of so much because yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. But like left foot clave, um, I would do like the Coscara uh-huh. ride pattern on the yeah. bell. Yeah. Or on like the floor tom, like the side of it. And then I would play like the rhythms between like my hand and on the toms. Right. And then the same thing. Or, or I would play like two and four or quarter notes on the hi-hat. Uh, clave, like Roomba. You, we we uh-huh. did Roomba clave. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Three, two or two, three. It didn't gotcha. matter. Mm-hmm. And then play the rhythms alternating on the toms or like with the bass drum. And I mean, it's like just every right. single possible thing. Right. And that taught me independence and control and dynamics. And we'd yeah. have to do it. A different. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we would do is like I had to he would assign me one page for a week. And with whatever thing we were working on, mm-hmm. and I had to go through all eight pages when I was practicing. But then whenever we got to the lesson, he would just pick a page and I had to play the whole thing without messing up. Like with the one the with whatever thing we were working on, you gotcha. know, uh-huh. and, and it was like at a certain tempo, too. It was so much fun and it was so hard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, cause, yeah. Because it taught me like whenever I was in a, you know, in the practice room, like late at night or whatever, and Mm. just frustrated, like, I'm never going to be able to get this. This is so freaking hard. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's no way anyone could even do this. This is so hard. Yeah. And then 30 minutes later, it just kind of clicks, you know, you you just like start to feel it and you're like, oh my God, it's like riding a bike. You're like, I'm doing it, you know? Yeah. And then you start to internalize it and you, then you relax and then you kind of speed it up and do whatever and you know just learning that kind of stuff there's so it's so rewarding it it is and finally get something working on latin grooves though they're so everything is so self-contained because you don't need music to play along with because you're orchestrating these parts on the drum set somebody described independence to me as like a field you walk through like a waist high field that you you walk through on your way to school one day and it's you know you barely make it through but but when you come back at the end of the day you see kind of this rough path that that you right. created the first right. time you walk through it. And then in the, the next day you walk through and it's a, right. it just keeps the path becomes more and more defined every yeah. time you walk down it, but you can't totally, do it all man. in one day. Right. You know, and sometimes it's a process. I, I mean like anything that you're practicing. Right. It, it I, I think of those times as well at this point in my life when I, I had the, the foot pedal where I can attach a wood block to. Yeah. And one summer I, I came really close to having, to be able to sustain the three, two clave right. with my left foot. Right. And then it went away. Mm-hmm. And I've never had a gig where that's been. Really never, cool. dude. Never. <laughs> you will never do that on a gig, you know, unless you're playing with Chick Corea or yeah. Michelle Camilo or something like that, right, you right. know. But, but I mean, but it's good to know. I mean, but, but see, that's 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 yeah. the, that's the question. It's right. like we keep 
bringing these ideas up like and pushing them down. It's like, oh, you don't have to play that fast, or you don't have to know how to solo like this, right. or you don't know how you don't have to be able to play three two rumba clave with your left foot. Right. But are but the question is, you know, are these things important? These 100%. are things. That, yeah, they really are, man. And so, and another, even just to take that a step further, when in my lessons we were practicing playing odd time signatures over four, four, like metric modulation, basically. And, uh, we would do like groups of three groups of five and seven and, Mm -hmm. uh, at different tempos. And I would have to do different types of configurations Mm -hmm. with it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and solo over that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I could still like, I love that. I just randomly just like play five over four Mm -hmm. all the time, just in my mind. And that, and, and again, I'll never have to do that on a session, but that strengthened my sense of the quarter note so much more nice. than what I knew before. Yes. Like now I can feel for, and like different time signatures, in your you know, sleep. And, and you're like way more in tuned to time and feel and how to put it on the front side of the beat or a little bit on the backside or right in the middle mm-hmm. and know when you're drifting. Because mm-hmm. I didn't used to know, like, you know, if I was drifting in time or whatever. And sometimes, like, if you're just really in the moment, you're not even really thinking about that. Mm-hmm. But, like, you just internalize it. Like, I'm playing to a click track just about every day. Yeah. So I can immediately tell, like, if I'm if I'm doing a live gig and we're playing, like, some, you know, like, cover song, like, from a Motown record or Stacks or whatever. And you can feel the time drift. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I had no idea. Even on the, the James Taylor thing. With yes. Steve Jordan. I can hear it shift a little bit and hear him like pull a verse back just a touch or like move a chorus up a little bit. And I had no idea when I was younger that, yeah. that, yeah. that like the moment you can hear it yeah. shift yeah. and like it's purposeful, you know, yeah. but it feels amazing. It feels right, great. Right, right. But like having, and he talks about that too. He grew up playing timpani and just mm-hmm. the being in tune to the length of a quarter note. Yes. Starting and stopping a note, you know, yeah, yeah. it's huge. He talks about that on his drum uh, DVD. Ah, it's, yeah, so I good, man. Seen it you would years. love it. You would love it. I, yeah, well, I you have it. seen it. Okay, I it. okay. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just been a few years since I've yeah. seen it. It's but so it's, good. Man. It's like the best drum instructional I've ever seen. It's it's really good. It's and, not, and and um, uh, also uh, we did a little uh, post on our Facebook about uh, WTF. Yeah. When Mark Marin yes. interviewed Steve Yeah, Jordan. that was great, man. That's that was a, cool. For those who haven't heard it yet, go to check out the another podcast WTF. How he talks about meeting the Rolling stones so cool yeah so in, cool in man. france yeah I'm yeah freezing. freezing like got out of the cab didn't know where he was going trying to find a studio yeah. and he was just listening for like sound you know <laughs> which is so i wonder if he we, got a embellish i'm, I'm here story, to see man. the rolling stones ah oh, we this way and dude he ended up like Mick jagger would take breaks and he would get up and sing with them and like play percussion and he just was broing down he was hanging out yeah yet again it's all about the hang you know I, I, I my favorite part of that is when he the cab driver dropped him <clears> off <throat> in the middle of paris and he goes it was freezing he freezing goes, he goes but I, you know i'm a rock star yeah so i was un i was underdressed he was, yeah he was he didn't have many layers on because <laughs> <laughs> i'm a rock star uh, i'm like i love that love it man that's like it's just cool. He's so yeah. cool, man. How do you want to shop for clothes? Oh, I want to be underdressed all the time. Yeah, I just want to look cool. I don't want to, yeah, right. I don't want to wear a big parka. That's right, exactly. Me, yeah. He yeah. he's such an interesting guy and I feel like he's been an inspiration to me as far as the arc of his career goes mm, yeah. where he he's a drummer but he also plays bass and guitar and writes and produces and he's like band leading 
you know, big shows on TV that Martin Scorsese's directing and stuff like, it's yeah. just like really interesting stuff that is yeah. not just a drummer. Yeah. It's like, man, that's cool. I want to, you know, right. And that may be a segue to like, he's very good. Say, segways, we we're segue Sam. That's right. Here. There he is. That is a segue because I wanted to get into all the different instruments that you play yeah. and some of the producing that you've done. Yeah. So kind of what I was saying earlier too, like my dad taught me, guitar was my first instrument. Really? Okay. I got a guitar before I got a drum set. And so it's always been there. Like I'll, you know, I'd be like listening to the radio, trying to play along to records and or to mm -hmm. songs and just mm -hmm. figuring it out, sort of not realizing that I'm training my ear yeah. to figure out chords, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so I play, I play like, I don't play a lot of electric these days cause there's so many amazing and there's amazing acoustic guitar players and keyboard players and bass players and all that stuff. But I feel like I picked it up more in the past few years, mainly out of necessity to write with artists Okay. to where like, I've got a studio with everything in it that you would need to yep. build a song pretty much, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. you know, electric guitar and amp bass, you know, cool pedals, a whole synth rack of stuff. And so I got into, uh, I guess it was like 2012 or 13, got into like pop production stuff mm -hmm. like Dr. Luke and things that he was working on mm -hmm. for some reason. And like Kanye West and, mm -hmm. and like Timbaland and, okay. and things like that. <clears throat> it just sort of started to resonate with me in a way. And I, I don't know. I, th I just, I guess because I was hearing all the really cool like production tricks they were doing and not knowing how to do it. Okay. So I'm like, I want to learn how to do that. You yeah. know, letting like using Pro Tools as an instrument or like learning how to get inside that kind of stuff and really like make your own sounds and yeah. do like cool filter sweeps and like you know. And now like there's like sample packs out there that pretty much do all that stuff for you. But okay. I was like learning how to do it through like okay. automation and Pro Tools. You okay. Know? Okay. <clears throat> Like getting on YouTube and just looking up, all right, how do you do this? Oh, right. Or right, whatever, you know. Right. Uh, Pensado's place was really cool for that kind of information. So, Pensado's. Pensado's place. It's like this online um, sort of interview type thing. This guy, David Pensado, he's an engineer. Um, he just interviews people in the music business, and there's little great segments. It's Sorry. great. It's amazing. I know, right? <clears throat> it's funny how. <laughs> but he's got these little five, ten minute segments called Into the Layer, and he'll get into the studio and open up a session uh -huh. and be like, okay, and this is how I got the vocal to sound like this, and this oh, is nice. what plugin I was using or whatever. Yeah. So when you're starting out, and even there's still great stuff out there, even if you, you're doing it full time, but yeah, um, I would but, just but pick up tricks but but when you were starting out or for those who are yeah. starting out it would be a good place it's it is a really cool place to start yeah okay like if you're wanting to learn like cool pop production tricks or or anything you know yeah <clears throat> but yeah so i got into writing more um whenever i realized like you know i wasn't doing sessions every single day mm -hmm. and like wasn't booked every single day i was like well i don't want to just sit at home let me mm -hmm. start writing and mm -hmm. so I just, you know, got a studio with some buddies and asked some friends, hey, do you want to get together and write? I was also in this songwriting group uh, where we had to write a song a week. Yeah. And uh, it was people from, you know, Nashville and Texas and Arkansas or whatever. And it was this sort of email group where oh, somebody wow. would pick a phrase like <clears throat> somebody may pick like uh, into the water. 
or huh. something like random like that. And yeah. then you would have to put that phrase in your song somewhere. Wow. Didn't have to be the hook or whatever. Uh-huh. And so it was mainly for people that were like just wanting to write more and like exercise that muscle. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I mean, I'm not, I'd never written a song by myself ever. Wow. And I was like, okay, I want to do this. I want to push uh-huh. myself. Yeah. <clears throat> and we did. And some, you know, my songs were horrible. <laughs> But I did it, you know, and I got better at writing songs and yeah. I got more confident. What rhymes with water? Yeah, what I know, right? With... I'm just sitting in my bedroom going, <laughs> and it, it kind of taught me how to build a song because I wanted them to sound cool. Mm-hmm. So I would like, you know, borrow an upright piano from a friend or something or go somewhere and like write and take on Take it that. home, put it in your car. And yeah, it take it home, put it in my car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? That would be an easier way and, to do um, this. And then would just build things that I thought sounded cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I'll go back to some of those songs and be like, actually, some of those little things I was doing was kind of cool. I mean, the lyrics and the singing are horrible, but mm-hmm. but I could see like, okay, I'm getting mm-hmm. the, the wheels turning here. Mm-hmm. And then um, just a friend of mine, Elise Davis, she's an amazing mm-hmm. artist in town. She asked me, and it was actually on Halloween, it was oh, when wow. Pensado's place was in Nashville. That's so funny. That's okay. so random. But yeah. she was like, hey, I want to do a new record. Will you produce it? And I'm like, I've never produced anything before. I don't know why you would want that, but yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> right, know? right. It's like, yeah, it's, that'd be amazing. I would love to do that, you know. Yeah. And we had really, you know, similar thoughts and ideals on what we liked mm-hmm. in music and what mm-hmm. we thought sounded cool. So. I had a studio with some friends and like we all just got together and did a little five song EP and it was a great learning experience and it turned out great. It was really cool. And I just kind of learned how to, okay, this is how you, you know, this is a way to produce, you know, like... Well, what was the, I mean, because I know you, you had worked with producers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you pull from that so, experience? 100%. Yeah. Okay. You know, you start to play on records and you just, via osmosis, you pick up things that yeah. the guys are doing. Just like, you know, again, like reading the room, like learning how they will direct an artist to sing or if they want them to do another take, like mm-hmm. what they would say to make them not feel insecure about singing, but like excited about making it better right. or going like, yeah, let's just do a couple more takes. And you know, like we actually need a couple more takes because we didn't get it. But not saying that, yes. you know what I mean. Certain little things of like picking up, like psychology oh, okay. behind the psychology of the studio is is important. Yeah, and like knowing how to like <clears throat> have a flow to a session when you can tell things aren't moving properly, mm-hmm. you can redirect it and go, okay, let's let's do this. You know, we'll come back to that, and then because you realize, okay, we need to spend more time on that. But right now, we don't have time. Mm-hmm. So mental note, we'll go do that at another time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or going, yeah, set up the artist to sing and play acoustic with us, but we need them to be isolated because we're going to go back and re-record that. And then mm-hmm. when they're done doing their take, why don't you come in and listen, mm-hmm. you know, rather than still sitting there with headphones on and them not really like, meanwhile, you may have <clears throat> just gotten a great take and they're like, I don't know. I, do, I can't tell. Mm-hmm. Cause they were, you know, in their own head mm-hmm. with headphones on, but yeah, you yeah. could go, you know, there's little things like that that you pick up. It's almost like you're just, you're managing personalities all the time. And, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and as a studio musician, you're doing that too. You're just right. like right. doing that with yourself and seeing how you fit. Now you have kind of a stable yeah. People. And I'm sure every session is different because you're going to have to. Right. And so I, I surround myself with people that are constantly doing that. 
You know, the yeah. guys that I'm hiring for records are guys that like know how to read what we need for the song, yeah. you know, yeah. <clears throat> without me having to say anything. Right. It's like you just get the right guys in the room and you just let them do what they do uh, and they uh, know. It's uh, it's an unbelievable experience to be yeah. a part of. Because, yeah. you know, as a producer and working with an artist, you guys are like doing pre-production and you've heard these songs a bunch and you sort of have an idea. You come into it with sort of an idea, a roadmap, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then you go into the studio and you just kind of let that all go. Mm-hmm. And go, all right, dudes, do what you do. Exactly. And to see that come to but life is unbelievable. But that's part of producing. Right, it is, yeah. It Just is. picking those people. Picking those people, being, you know, like casting. You know, it's like you're a casting director for a movie and yeah. you do the work, you know the guys that you feel like are going to be great for this, and then you you just let them do what they do. Yeah. You know. I have a funny story. Um, a couple <clears throat> years ago, uh, I wanted to record a Christmas song at home. I just got some new microphones and some stuff. And my, my son, he's 12 now, he's probably about 9 or 10 at the time, and, and he started learning to play recorder. And he was yeah. really getting into it. And, like, and he was reading music and stuff mm-hmm. through, through other music lessons he had done. That's awesome. I said, hey, let's... Um, Let's get that rockin' Christmas song that you know on, on recorder, and I'm going to add guitar to it and percussion <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff, and just yeah. set up in the room and just kind of have some fun, some father-son bonding yeah, time. for sure. So I'm not a great guitar player, so you know I, ha- I learned the three chords, and I'm trying to go through it. And as we're recording, and I, t- I tell my friend this, we're just I was just laughing at myself because I'm going, and we're recording it. I'm like, great. And it's okay. That was good. I think we can do it better. I found myself, I found like producing myself it. producing with yeah. my son right. a little song Isn't for cool? my computer, maybe to email to the grandparents. Right. But I found these things coming out of my mouth. Right. Like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And it was really, it was like a minute and a half song. Yeah. We're going to play it. And then I'm going to keep it recording and we're going to play it again. We're going to do two yeah. takes back to back. Right. And I'm like, what? The who the hell am I? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. I mean, that's how, that's it. Really. And, and, and the funniest it's part was, simple as that. there was one take where he nailed it and I missed a chord. Right. And he did an audible sigh. Like, oh, <laughs> come on, dad. You suck. <laughs> yeah. Can we get somebody else to yeah, do Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, you already felt judgment from your peers at that point. It <laughs> was, was so great. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. When I was a kid and I learned how much the dentist makes, I wanted to be a dentist. (laughs) And then when I learned right after that, how much school they go through, I was like, maybe I'm not going to be a dentist, Uh, you know, but uh, no, it's just, um, I didn't really realize that I wanted to do music professionally until I was in, until like my senior year of high school, Mm -hmm. you know, I was always playing football. 
and okay. baseball and all that stuff and okay. like track and field and all that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was, well, you know, really committed to it. We won state championships and like the whole thing. It was like reinforced by, you know, those you were, kinds of things. Sporting. So we were doing it. Yeah. yeah. It was like starting, it was like bench pressing 335 pounds. Like, wow. I was like, it was a, I was like a totally different person in a way. Yeah. And then, um, <clears throat> had this huge shift in my life at my senior year and really, really got focused, hunkered down and actually quit football and on my own accord, just wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Started taking more lessons, just diving in deep, you know, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> and then I started to realize, okay, maybe I should, you know, think about Nashville. And mm-hmm. there was a there's a drummer named Will Sales, who was like, he was like a big brother to me, kind of early on okay. before I moved here. Uh-huh. We would, this was back when MySpace was around. Okay, and I would like message him on MySpace, like, because he was playing with an artist named Derek Webb, who I loved, and mm-hmm. he made really cool records that were like, it was sort of like you know, in this Christian vein, but it sounded like Wilco. You mm-hmm. know, it was like cool. really, really cool sounds mm-hmm. and engineering and producing and playing and parts. I'd never, I'd never heard anything like it other than on like a Wilco record. Yeah, you know, come right. to find out, they were really into Wilco. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> but it was their own thing. Case and Cooley was producing some of that stuff and playing keys, and Paul Moog was playing electric, and they tracked it at his place, the Smokestack. So that was like this whole scene of people, and I was so intrigued by the drumming that Will was doing and the sounds and all that stuff. I could tell it was sort of in this Matt Chamberlain kind of world of like mm-hmm. really, atten- you know, like attention to like groove and parts and tone and sounds and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of darker cymbals, like mm-hmm. a little bit drier sounding drums, which, yeah. you know, and you don't, you don't think of Nashville as that kind of thing back then, you know, like right. early two thousands or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was messaging him, Hey man, uh, and he was using Ableton Live back then. Oh, wow. You know, I was like, dude, how do you use Ableton? Like, what is, He was also using Digital Performer, which nobody uses now. But, but like, he was running really cool tracks live that had an effect on the sound. They were, like, little, like, sonic beds of stuff. Hmm. And I was, like, so intrigued by it. Like, him. loops? Or? Some loops and, like, some, like, pad-type stuff or, okay. like, just atmospheric-y things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they played a show in Arkansas, and I drove up and, like, snuck up on stage while he was tearing down his drums. I'm like, hey, man, I'm Evan. You know, I love your drumming. Mm-hmm. I'd love to, you know, I was just nerding out. And he yeah. was so nice that he, like, gave me his email, and we, like, kept in touch. And <clears throat> when I was thinking about moving to Nashville, I was like, dude, I just want to know more about the studio world. Like, what is what does that look like? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you be a studio drummer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. How, how, how yeah. can you be that? Uh, and he gave me a bunch of tips and, and advice on like how to set up your drums, when to set up your drums, like maybe coming the night before to let the drums get used to the room and wow. like certain things like that, that you just don't learn until like a year or two into doing it full time mm-hmm. that really just made it easier, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he hooked me up with a couple of touring gigs that I, that I did early on, like oh, cool. right out of college and stuff like that. That was really influential. And, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the process that kick-started the, the transition from high school in Arkansas to coming to Nashville, you know. 
because it's such would, a mystery of like it is how in the world there's no handbook there's no like yeah. website to go to there's mm-hmm. no, no you know, there's nothing you know yeah. it's like you just gotta figure it out on your own luckily now there's this out there that people can I hope so well uh, <clears throat> would you say that there with the touring and, and some of these other people that, that there was a community that you were creating yeah for sure yeah yeah well, I mean 100% I mean you're you're coming up with your peers together uh-huh. and like I mean and I was always the youngest guy in the room with whatever I was doing which uh-huh. was I liked that you know yeah, I always wanted yeah. to be the guy that was learning something yeah you know? yeah so but yeah the whole that like changes my friend yeah I know right? <laughs> <laughs> it does yeah Sorry. Um, yeah so now I'm just working with like really old guys no I'm kidding <laughs> um, but um but yeah, you definitely kind of build up your peer group of people that you connect with and you make music with. Because like, I mean, the biggest advice too that you can that I could give as far as breaking into sessions is like when someone's moving to town, it's like, what kind of music do you want to make? You know, right. what music do you like? Who and who is making that music in Nashville? Nice. Go find those people. Yes. Stock them. Be annoying. You know, I mean, not really annoying, but like, don't be afraid to go to a show where you know they're playing it and go up and talk to them and be like, hey, I love what you do. No one's going to be like, beat it, kid. You know, they're going to thank you so much. I can't believe you were even paying attention. That's amazing. You know, people love that. And so I would, I would do that and, you know, like bug producers that I liked, you know, within certain boundaries, obviously you don't want to be annoying because that can be, you know, that's amazing. But yeah, it's like getting out there and just going and doing it, man. There's so many. So that's, that's just great. Yeah. uh, There's so many uh, players that are interested that are coming up in the studio world. Yeah. As well as those who've spent a lot of time on the road or right. doing other things. And I often ask, what's the future hold for you? And a lot of players are like, well, I'd like to get more into sessions. Yeah. That's, that's what everybody wants to do. Yeah. Not everybody, but a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Arguably. It's nice to stay at home. And- a lot of people want yeah. to do it. And I think the, the technology has created this whole interest in recording and creating and right and it's we just we want to create music we're creative type people totally we just this is our instrument this is our voice right um which is awesome and you know like and i don't take even that sentiment i don't take that lightly because uh, you know everybody wants to do what some of these guys are what we're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, if the moment you let up on that is the moment your career is over. <laughs> what do you mean? Like the moment you kind of like take it easy as a session musician, uh-huh. there's 200 people right behind you that are willing yeah. to jump in. And so take it easy. What do you mean? Work, like, like stop turn. practicing or stop caring or thinking that you've made it, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you never really make it. There's always somebody that's going to be better than you. Mm-hmm. There's always somebody better than everybody. Right. And so it's but, like, you, you just got to like find what you do and, yeah, you know, be comfortable yeah. with that. But also like being a great business person, knowing how to manage your money, knowing how to manage finances, mm-hmm. you know, building relationships, stuff like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's so you're, much that goes into it. It's because yeah. it's, it's everyone's own little small business. Right. Really. Well, you're doing it, man. It's awesome. You're really I love doing it. it. It's, it's fun. 
One of the questions I, I ask blessed. <laughs> that's editing. I'm editing that out. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless your heart. So my parents were like, okay, if you clean out the garage, we'll buy you a drum set. And you're going to clean out a space for it. Wow. So I did. And then they actually played a funny little joke on me of like, cleaned everything out. And, you know, it was my birthday. This was the kit. My dad takes me out to dinner. Meanwhile, I don't know that they're having the the local music store deliver the drum set to the house. But on the way home, my dad was like, we weren't able to get you a drum set. Was there anything else that you would want? (laughs) I was devastated, dude. Oh, no. I'm like, "Uh, no, actually, there is not. There's not. Oh, no. (laughs) I was like, I think I said, like, I don't know, maybe a Sega Game Boy or something. (laughs) What a dick. Oh, I've done that so before. funny. It's hard. I can't do it. I'm like, it's like, I know, man. You're crushing a kid's dreams. How, how long did he keep that? Uh, we had probably like five more minutes left to get to the house. Oh, so man. he was just like getting a kick out of it. Horrible, oh, man. No. So I get home and I'm still just dealing with that emotion. And there's a, oh, a drum set there. And I'm like, oh, I guess. I mean, yay, I got a drum set, you know. <laughs> but I hate you, Dad. I know. I was like, so then I just played Marilyn Manson for the rest of my life. No, That's for you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. We talked about some of the changes in Nashville um, in, in sounds and music and all the, the, the way that drums are being tracked. And yeah. Where do you think, do you see Nashville heading mm-hmm. in a certain way? Or? Yeah, it's, you know, it's sort of a wild west right now and that like <clears throat> there's so much streaming going on and it's amazing. I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. People aren't buying records really, but right. you're able to make more content and like figure out new streams of is revenue. Just, okay, I was going to say, know, is and that it can, sustainable? It is, yeah, I th- I, it really is, yeah. And the union, the musicians union is like catching up to that kind of stuff uh-huh. where we're getting paid now for like plays on Pandora and XM radio and certain things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all kind of catching up sort of, but, uh, yeah, I mean, being able to have a home studio, I feel like is pretty cool, pretty huge. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily an end all be all. I know some guys don't have a studio and they still work quite a bit, right, right. but you know, I'll be at my place tracking songs on the weekend and still doing sessions during the week. And you can just kind of track it whenever you, you know, in your pajamas, quote unquote, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and it's just more ways to, to have money coming in, which is cool, you know? So and doing, I think, and that was the thing in LA too, sort of in the nineties. And it's still that way. It seems like in LA to where Mm -hmm. most of the music that we're hearing on the radio coming from, Los Angeles is tracked in a home studio. Not mm. all of it, but a lot of it. Interesting. And and guys overdubbing, you yeah, know. Yeah, right. So But for drummers it's just Yeah. It's a whole different It's a whole different thing. And so also, you know, people are building songs on their laptop now. Full on songs. I mean a lot of stuff on the radio, pop radio is like a dude on a laptop and just making this beautiful architecture of music, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so some guys in Nashville are starting to do that now, but they still want real drums. 
At least on the choruses or something. You I know. know. Yeah, at least on the. So I'll and the second part of the second verse. Yeah, and like build to build some cool loops and stuff. So yeah. I'll so they'll send me tracks to play on, and I'm talking like records, you know, like big records mm-hmm. where that's how they're getting made sometimes now. Right, right, right. And if I didn't have a great sounding studio, then they wouldn't come to me you know right. they would and it saves them money because yeah. they're not having to rent out blackbird or whatever and you know obviously we still do that stuff but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. it's just you know being able to do a little bit more mm-hmm. is helpful yeah you know? and where do you see yourself in this ever changing i see myself sort of like i've got a toe in like both pools you, you know like i've i've got cartage like my cartage is set up at a studio right now mm-hmm. and i'll go to the studio and then it'll be there so that's the traditional session drumming thing you it know is, yeah. <clears throat> so i've got like three different kits and cartage and a big snare thing there and that whole deal and that's usually that's like monday through friday usually mm-hmm. what i'm doing and then people will be like hey man i've got this track i need you i need drums on when can you do it mm-hmm. i'll be like I can track it this Saturday or this Sunday or whatever. So they'll mm-hmm. email it. I'll email the files back. Mm-hmm. And so some guys just do the home studio thing. Right. And some guys do really well with that, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like, they'll do thing, you know, records for people over in Sweden or yeah. Germany or whatever the case may be. And, um, but I feel like I'm just sort of doing a little bit of both. Yeah. But, and I love it. Like, yeah. And when you said to, uh, I was also thinking like of producing, yeah, and producing and uh-huh. songwriting, and I'm engineering yeah. these drums here, you know, yeah. and um, yeah, it's you know, it's all all over the map. Some people will email me and go, "I want you to build a track, play everything. I want you, you know, like to build a pop track for this artist," mm. and then so I'll do that and I'll play everything and then email a buddy to play electric guitar. Mm-hmm. And then that'll be the that'll be the thing, you know. Nice, so much fun. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, what's coming up? This coming up. What am I doing? I didn't even look at my calendar. Paul McCartney coming up. Yeah, we got Paul McCartney tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing um, doing a couple different records with some different producers. I'm working with this girl. She's amazing. Cassie Ashton. Okay. Who she just got signed mm-hmm. to uh, Interscope slash Universal Nashville, and Luke Laird is producing her record. We've been in the studio tracking the past couple months, and then we're gonna go back in and record some more. And we're actually flying to L.A. to do a show, which I don't really go out of town that much. Yeah. So that's exciting. I'm cool. excited about that. Like yeah. going to get to see some friends in L.A. that I haven't seen in years. Nice. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Because I'm really only there when I'm touring and I haven't toured in forever. Oh. Um, <clears throat> so that'll be cool. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Playing on some other records that just some friends of mine are developing new artists and then some other things, too, that, mm-hmm. you know. Now I know that uh, doing demos and doing master sessions is different. So I mean, yeah. uh, do you find And there's like every day there's something but right, you know like right. demos or whatever. Sure. But for the for, <clears throat> for for these records, it's more of a master type session. Yeah. Those yeah, those are masters. Yeah. And there's and sometimes man, I'll have like I've got a bunch of dates coming up next month where they're masters that I don't even know who the artist is yet. Mm-hmm. That the producer will just say, "Hey man, put this band together." And um and then he'll send me songs to chart out a couple of days before. Mm. And I'm like, all right, cool. This is who we're working with, you know? Yeah. So sometimes I don't even know until right, I get Right, right, right. <laughs> Which is fun in a way, you know? 
But there's another guy named Matt Stell that a buddy of mine is developing and, mm-hmm. and producing that <clears throat> he's had me kind of help with the pre-production and putting the band together mm. and stuff like that. And it's guys that we will, you know, you'll hopefully hear on the radio next year, you know? Awesome. Yeah. So who are these? Tell me the two <clears throat> artists, the, the, the girl and the guy, Cassie Ashton. Cassie. Ashton. She's amazing. Yeah. I don't know if they've released any of her new stuff yet, but you'll definitely be like hearing her on the radio, probably pop and country radio. Uh-huh. She's amazing. That's, a force to be reckoned with. Okay. For sure. Yeah. That's exciting. She's unbelievable. That's awesome. She's like, if if like Beyonce grew up in Missouri on country music <laughs> and still has her vibe, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's unbelievable. That's fun. It's so much fun. Oh, She's awesome. amazing. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, Matt Stell's great. Jimmy Allen just played on his record that just came out. Okay. He's really cool. Right. Um, yeah, there's just a bunch of stuff in the mix, man. That sounds exciting. Daniel Bradbury just played on her record. Okay. It's awesome. Yeah. There's a song called Human Diary. That's one of the songs that I played on. Mm-hmm. Really cool, like, brush. We did, like, some cool stacking of parts on that song. Okay. Normal drum part, and then I'd, like, overdub some brushes to uh-huh. go with it, too. Yeah, Like, sort yeah. of a... You know Steve Jordan did on... Um, <clears throat> What was that song on uh, Continuum? Yes. I was just thinking yeah, of that. that song. I mean, that's the like, same yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, dude, it's not Wait on the World to Change, but it's sort of a beat like that. It's got there's a, a great to it. There's a great Sarah McLaughlin song that Matt does that. Yeah. And like it's 6-8. It's so cool, man. And, and, and the... It's it's like you're you're thinking how does this line up? But not only does it line up, but how does it create this insane pocket? Right. Yeah, it's like the the brushes are doing what the ghost notes would do. Yes, you know, it's like that kind of idea. But you couldn't just plug that in, right? You have to. You, you got to play it, and it's got it. dynamics to it. You know. Yeah. yeah. So check out that song. That's already been released. Human Diary is the name. Human Diary. Yeah, okay. Daniel Bradbury. She's on Big Machine. Okay. And uh, yeah, some really cool stuff, man. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. It's been awesome. Oh man, it's really really fun yeah, to kind of hear fun. your story and and to get to know you a little bit more and and yeah. uh, there's just so much going on right. with you, man. It's just that crazy. It doesn't sound like there's much end in sight. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I'm yeah. trying to fit in golf on the weekends sometimes yeah. and food That's poisoning been, from and time food to poisoning. Time. Yeah, food poisoning. I mean, oh, dude, schedule, that man. was brutal. <laughs> I was on the couch all day, man. I felt so bad. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I won't say the name of the restaurant, so just no, no problem. Yeah. Um, our listeners don't eat, so <clears throat> yeah, big... we're drummers. All we do is just practice. Let's yeah, practice and power bar every once. Power in a while. bar, yeah. Um, but power taking the time coffee. to do this is much appreciated. Yeah, man. Thanks yeah. for coming over. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, there we go. Thanks, dude. Yeah, man. So there's my conversation with Evan Hutchings. Uh, my thanks to Zach Steinbach for introducing me. To Evan, Zach is a songwriter, mutual friend of ours, uh, who is a great songwriter, great tunes, and my thanks to Zach for introducing me to Evan. And uh, it was fun to get to know Evan and to dig into some of the things that he's doing and the many plates that he's spinning. Evan is a relatively young dude, but he has got a lot of great things happening and seems to have his head on straight to kind of keep things moving forward in his recording career so uh i just it was just fun uh probably one of the biggest takeaways for me was him talking about the um kind of metric modulation and all the different complex drumming things that we do as we're learning and how it helped to reinforce his 
impulse of time, and um, that just kind of sent it home for me, like, oh yeah, there's a reason why we work on all this complex stuff, so that when we play the simple stuff, it's super great, it's super solid, and it's what people need. I mentioned in the episode about a story of Jim Keltner uh, on one of the previous episodes, an older episode, and that was uh, one of the episodes we did a two-part series with uh, Travis McNabb. If you go through the back catalog on our website, workingdrummer.net, you can find that great stories about Keltner in the studio just totally being chill and zen-like and handling things like uh, a pro. Um, stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's episode. Many thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance as well. We have t-shirts for sale and we have a holiday special coming up. We are doing $10 per shirt with, uh, that, that doesn't include shipping, but, um, please, uh, check out those shirts. They've got graphics on either side. And uh, also, uh, patreon.com slash working drummer. Check that out if you will, and participate if you are able to. Nashville Drummer Jam tribute to Pat Torpy coming up December 4th here at the Cannery Ballroom in Nashville, Tennessee, if you are in the area or close. December 4th, tribute to Pat Torpy. Pat will be here. Billy Sheehan will be here as well. Killer, great drummers will be here. Uh, performing, uh, so it's always a good time. Come out and check that out. Uh, so that's it. Everyone, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.